Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be with you. Welcome to all who are just joining us today. I want to welcome you to the A&M Church. Uh, a couple things to let you know is if you needed more announcements. Uh, just, a, just a couple things to be on your radar screen. Um, you, you know how, how deeply we're connected to Ukraine, how much you guys have done to help support the work there. So Kent and Jerry and some of the other folks that have been leading our Ukraine effort are going to take a little extra time at uh, 2 o'clock today up in room 216 and 217 for anybody who wants to hear more, some of the stories and celebrations, and where exactly your money is going. And so there's an opportunity to connect in, in that way. Um, something else that I, I celebrate, I think about this from time to time when I hear people talk about, and it's, it's more fun to give to like foreign missions and all those kind of things. And, and sometimes we, we don't think about just the contribution we make to the building itself. I know that's not the coolest or the most fun thing, but every now and then I just appreciate the fact that when you give towards that, you are doing mission in this community. Cause I, I recognize just in three months I've been here, this building never stops being used. At all times, all days, never stops being used, whether it's the gym and bringing the community in that way, community Bible study, recovery community uh, meets here in in a lot of different ways. Uh, But I thought I'd let you know about one special one um, that's happening this week. Uh, A new friend of mine I met a couple of months ago is the minister of the tiny little church plant, little Anglican church that meets in the uh, Mission Vision uh, Church building on Sunday afternoons uh, over near Saltgrass. 50 members maybe, probably 100 on the roll, so to speak, but about 50 or so folks that come on any given Sunday. And uh, he asked a little while ago if we would consider hosting them, letting them use the chapel area for their Good Friday service, uh, a celebration and a recognition of Jesus giving his life for us on Friday. It's a powerful, simple little um, scripture-based service where they kind of read through uh, uh, scripture. So I was just getting ready to talk about that with admin and they were all for that to be able to use the building. And, uh, a, a day before he sent me a text that said, and can you imagine this two weeks before Easter, the church that hosts them in their building on Sunday afternoons at four said, you can't meet here on Easter. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Do you, do you think we could maybe use that then too? And so I just think it's beautiful that in addition to all the other things that's happening in the building this week, there's a little church that's going to be able to uh, honor our Lord on Friday, but also celebrate their Easter service on Sunday afternoon. So thank you again for all you do to make this a hospitable place for the community. They said, by the way, uh, anybody that is interested to come to that simple service on Friday, I do think it's, it helps my celebration of Easter to really spend time on Friday to recognize the death of Jesus. So you are welcome to come again in the chapel at six o'clock. Uh, and, and the framework of that service is really just reading through the scripture and celebrating uh, the story of Jesus giving his life. So that's a powerful thing. Last thing just to, just to, to make note of is, uh, is what stands before me now. Several weeks ago, Steve Smith told me about this beautiful thing that he does to honor Becky every year. And uh, when the service is over, you are welcome to come and take a flower in her honor. I just think that's beautiful. Um, and thank you for, uh, for our worship gathering together people that are coming from all different places, some celebrating and some that are grieving today. We've been doing this uh, little mini-series leading up to our celebration of Easter. Just I know every week we celebrate the Lord's resurrection, but it is special to know that we're joining with, with followers of Jesus all over the world next week to celebrate that. And And I thought it'd be helpful for us in the weeks leading up to that to just open ourselves up again to the hunger 
for the promise of what Easter represents. New life, new possibility, new hope. And so we've been doing this series just owning our need for what it is that God brings when we celebrate that empty tomb. And so let's read the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, It is a uh, song and a psalm from Psalm 118. If you have your Bibles, your devices, turn there, and we will look at a chunk of this passage today. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Skip down to verse 17. I will not die but live, and I will proclaim the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With branches in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I certainly don't have to tell you here in Aggieland on this weekend that time and place and history matter, right? On this weekend of all weekend, where I'm told over 6,500 students received their Aggie rings. Anybody get your new Aggie rings this weekend? Everybody piling into that moment, and I I think about just the significance of what that represents. I'm told, what is it, 90 hours you have to complete before you can do it? So in that present moment, all of the effort that it took to get to that place. You think about the history and the tradition that stands behind what that represents, and then it points forward into the possibilities that this accomplishment that will open the doors for in the future. And then I, I, I saw the paper. Did you see the, the paper yesterday? I think it had the picture of a mother and her son getting their ring on the same day. And, and maybe think about it, in these moments, it's so true this and other traditions as well, that when you celebrate something like this. Some are doing it for the very first time, thousands of them doing it, and yet others of you probably remember when you got yours. Anybody else have an Aggie ring, right? A few of you? By the way, I said I need to drop this in here. I lost my ring last week. I was preaching, had it on, so if you find a Virginia Tech ring (laughs) with a black stone in the top and a little cheap diamond on it, please give it to me. 
but I celebrate those of you who still have yours. <laughs> and we think about these moments where these things come together, and it's so powerful, these traditions that we have. And I think about that, and I want you to recognize time and history and place matters. There is, as, as significant as that moment is, there is nothing more significant than this week for followers of Jesus. Spiritually speaking, this particular week in the calendar every year is one of great tradition, great history, and incredible significance. Because as best we can tell around now, about 2,000 years ago on this Sunday, today is the day where Jesus chose to go into Jerusalem knowing by the end of the week he would give his life for you and for me. And for centuries, followers of Jesus have taken this time to recognize, yes, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus every week, but on this Sunday, this Sunday, some call it Palm Sunday, because we know in Mark 11, but in every gospel, it tells the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, knowing he's about to give his life, and the crowds laying down palm branches as he rides in on a donkey. They celebrate the Lord's entry. Others call it Passion Sunday, from the Greek word to agonize or to suffer for the sake of God's purpose because it is that we celebrate and we recognize the price that was paid when he comes in on that day. For whatever reason, whatever you call it, this is a weekend of incredible significance, tradition, and history, and we step into that. And the way we do it today is by looking at this song, this psalm in Psalm 118, and it is an artistic work of the Holy Spirit of God. And to get at the artistry here, I want you to think with me for a moment about how we have done that in our history with our music. Here's a few albums that kind of do in our culture what's going on here in this text. Uh, one of the things that happens here, by the way, we, we are told that we're living in an era of the death of the album because we know, and I'm like it too, I'll just download a song or I'll stream a song here and there. But every now and then we need to remind ourselves these things, these collections are entire works of art and the movement within the album matters. One of the things we lose when we miss out on that and we just pick one song out of here, one or another, is this powerful technique that musicians will use called reprise. Have you heard of this before? You know what a reprise is? It's when an element of music or a lyric or something is brought up early on in the album, in the work, and then it is brought back up again later, and maybe often at the end of the album. These are some examples from our history. Just a few hours from here, Willie Nelson made his first concept album called The Red-Headed Stranger. It's what launched him into becoming one of the most famous country music artists ever. And he uses this reprise. He tells a story. It's a theme both musically and also in the story. The old band Pink Floyd is famous for this. Two of their albums are up there, The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon, where themes and elements of the story and music are told at the beginning and then reprised again at the end, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. But my favorite example of this in popular culture is John Williams' score throughout the whole epic of Star Wars. We sense reprise every time. All, all I have to say is anytime Darth Vader comes in the room, can you hear the theme in your head? <laughs> it reprises the theme. It brings it back. 
So the main characters have their own musical theme. And over the course of the saga, that theme gets deeper and richer because of our experience with the character. Does that make sense? And that's what's going on in this song and this psalm in Psalm 118. In fact, what I would tell you is that this song is actually not just a singular song. It's actually a whole album. Psalm 118 is a whole entire album. I call it the soundtrack of salvation. Because this album, this song, this worship music that is included in Scripture actually takes us through the significance of what we and Christians all over the world are recognizing this particular week, what Jesus is about to launch into. It will use the same technique of reprise and You will hear in it hints of songs and lyrics and themes that you've heard before, or you will hear again in the future if you were listening to it for the first time in Psalm 118. And the power of reprise in music is giving you this sense that, yes, we're moving forward, and yet we're not leaving the best of the past behind when we do that. Do you feel that? We're moving forward. We're going into God's future, but we're not leaving what has gone before us and what the best is of behind. And so as you're listening and going through the movement of this album, this soundtrack of salvation today, I want you to pay attention and see if you don't find yourself in one of the movements or another. You may find yourself where you are in the present or hints of where God is taking you or taking us as a church in the future. Does that make sense? So let's walk through the movements of this song, of this album The first movement, the opening melody, is one of celebration. Hear it again. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And he calls on everyone from Israel to the worship leaders to uh, anyone who has experienced the power of God to join in that chorus. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Or I love the way the message translates it. His love never quits. This is a celebration moment. You get the sense that it's almost breathless attempt to praise God because something has happened from which they've been delivered. Something that has happened here. It is an individual for parts of the psalm, but by the end, the whole community is joining in. You get a sense of what one scholar calls some national crisis, some impending distress, and God has delivered them from. Listen to what it says in verse 5. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. I was in a, a narrow, confining situation, and God broadened it. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. There's a sense in which the enemies are still kind of lingering, but they have been defeated. God has delivered them, and there is this huge celebration in the moment. Here's another sense to recognize the richness of this worship music here. It's not just an album. It's actually part of a larger anthology. There's a larger collection that Psalm 118 is the end of. If you go back to Psalm 113, all of the psalms from 113 all the way up to 118 is known as the Hallel songs. These are parts of the worship from Israel when they would celebrate the Passover. So take that in for a moment. Psalm 113 was the beginning. Psalm 118 was the ending. Somewhere along Israel's tradition and history, 
Psalm 113 and 114 was sung or prayed or chanted before the great Passover meal on the eighth day. And 115 on to the end, this one was sung at the end, chanted at the end as they drank that fourth glass of wine at the Passover. Somewhere in that tradition, that heritage developed. Now here's what matters, not the specifics about what was going on in there, but what story lies behind this song. What lies behind this is the entire story of the Exodus. The God who delivered his people out with a mighty hand, you'll even hear echoes of that. And the song that Moses and Miriam sung back in the book of Exodus. God has delivered them powerfully. The Exodus is behind this song. And so once again, just like when some new folks hold up their brand new rings and others hold up their rings they've had for a long time, do you hear the music coming together? This psalmist and the community there have been delivered by a great distress, but they are thinking about the great deliverance of God all the way back in Egypt. And all of a sudden, voices from generations come together to declare this great celebration that God's love never quits. It's like generations of voices are coming together to answer the question that runs deepest in people's hearts about God. I remember as a philosopher and as a lawyer and all of that, I used to think the real question people would ask about God is, does he exist? But you know, most people don't have that as their question. Most people throughout human history have believed in some form of a higher power. That's not the real question people struggle with with God. You know what the greatest question people tend to struggle with with God? Is he good? I know there's a higher power out there, but does he care? Is he good? Does he have compassion and action for the things that matter to me in the world? That's the question people struggle with. And hear me, a thousand generations come together in this text to declare a resounding, yes, our God, our King that we celebrate on this day, our King is good and his love never quits. And the point of hearing the music now is to keep reprising it in our hearts and on into the future Because it takes on greater and greater significance every time we hear it. We're told the great Martin Luther, who was one of the great leaders of the Reformation of the abuses of the Catholic Church 500 years ago, was sustained by this very song. It's a period of time in 1530, he had reached a point where because of his speaking out for the faith, he was in a great threat for his life. And for 165 days, he hid in a castle in Germany. And it says during that time, in his isolation, we know a little bit about, in his isolation and his fear, he experienced incredible depression and he thought he would not make it and his life one way or another would end. And he wrote a letter to a friend who was a composer of music. His friend wrote him back and gave him a copy of music that he had written for this psalm. And famously, in that castle, in the middle of his despair, Luther wrote on the words of the castle walls, verse 17, where he says, I will not die, but live, and I will declare the deeds of the Lord. And he would go on to do that until the day he died. This song opens in celebration that we have a God who is good and his love does not quit. 
But notice the second movement because it goes from there to bring in notes from earlier songs. These are notes that even in the middle of a thanksgiving and praise song, they are notes of uncertainty. Why? And why did we do a series called Hungry when we're getting ready to celebrate that God raises the dead? Because even though we have a king who is mighty and powerful and his love will always sustain us, we still are vulnerable and uncertain in this world, are we not? Isn't the way, that's the place, this movement, some of us find ourselves right now in a place of vulnerability and uncertainty. Here's a way to think about it. When I say notes from earlier songs, the way the book of Psalms are put together, there are movements between different kinds of songs and psalms. Did you know half of the book are called laments? It is grief. It is crying out in pain and struggle in the face of distress. And what happens when God responds to those complaints, then the people of God move to songs like this, thanksgiving and praise. And they will often name the distress that they prayed in the complaint and lament. Does that make sense? In other words, if you pay attention here, you will notice you could almost rewrite the prayer for when they were in the trouble in the first place before they were delivered, right? So think about this. Maybe this is where some of us are. I wonder what fear lies behind the words in verse 5. In my distress, he says, I cry to the Lord. One of the great things about the Psalms, why you can continue to pray them today, is they don't overdefine it so that you can step in. I love the way one person described it. It's like a house that is already made and ready for you, but you get to come and furnish it as if it were your own. Come into the Psalms. There's fear. In my distress, I cry to the Lord. I wonder what face is behind the line in verse 8. It's better to find refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Have you ever been let down by someone? Have you ever been disappointed by someone? I don't know who it is for them but we're invited to come in and make that our own. And you can feel the lament of the song of the past that says, ah, I trusted somebody. I depended on somebody to let me down. What about a leader in verse nine? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Has any leader let you down? I don't know what it was for them, but you feel the lament of the song from the past. I wonder what failure lies behind the line in verse 18. The Lord has disciplined me, but he hadn't taken me out. He's disciplined me. He's given me life. You find yourself right now, is this where you are in the song and you feel failure and brokenness? Let that turn into hunger. Here's the celebration. They were there too. Or I wonder what future obstacle stands behind the line in verse 25 where he says, save us, save us, grant us success. God's delivered us again and again and again and yet they're still crying out for salvation. So you recognize on this day of all days and in this song of all songs, we are reminded that we are still vulnerable. We still have needs. In any moment where God has come in and delivered us, we are reminded that he will have to deliver us again. Yes? That's part of what we do on this particular Sunday to say thank you, Jesus, for going into Jerusalem the first time. But we know full well you will probably have to go there for us again. We recognize and we admit in this part of our hunger that we are vulnerable and we are needy. It was less than a month ago, I sat in the room with a dear, dear friend. I mean, I sat closer to him than I am to Jerry right now. 
he's just going about his life, just doing what he did. And last Saturday, it was three weeks ago that I saw him up in Tennessee, but last Saturday I had to watch his funeral streamed. Because on a Friday night, he's just going and doing his stuff, and he had a brain aneurysm, early 50s, and he died. And in that moment, I'm reminded as I watched that service last Saturday that all of us are one phone call away from a changed life, are we not? That's not to be glum. This is the middle of a Thanksgiving song. But we are recognizing the hints of lament and struggle. I stand behind the hints of lament and struggle that says, yes, God, you've delivered us again and again and again, and you will probably have to do it yet again. Part of what struck me as I watched the service last Saturday is that his widow now could say the same words that Luther wrote on the walls. Oh, yes, I'm... Incredible pain, it is terrifying and horrible, and yet I will live and not die. And I will tell the great deeds of the Lord, and she already has been doing that in a week after her husband's death. Because she's surrounded by God and by the people of God. Are you in this movement that says, oh yes, I know God has delivered us, and I celebrate that on this incredible Sunday, and yet... I still feel the hints of uncertainty and vulnerability. Let that turn into hunger for what this week represents. What about the third movement, though? Third movement of the song are lyrics from a song and other songs still to come. At least for them there. Perhaps you picked up on them when I read it the first time. Maybe you've heard some of these words from this song before. They hadn't yet, when it was first written, when it was first chanted, when it was first sung in their worship services. But lyrics in this song would become famous and now famous throughout Christian history. Did you catch it? Verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Every single gospel writer, every telling of the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell us these are the lyrics of the song, the worship song that the whole crowd sung when Jesus came into Jerusalem on this Sunday 2,000 years ago. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all of their anticipation and all of their expectation that God was going to set the world right by coming back into his temple, this was the words. This was the song that they sung when Jesus came in. And when we see that, it helps us to recognize that Jesus was coming into that temple, but he wasn't just coming in to be worshipped, he was coming in to die. Other lyrics in this song become famous too. This album gets repeated elsewhere, right? Let's go to verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's not just spoken here. Jesus himself uses this language to refer to himself. Paul uses this in the book of Ephesians. Peter speaks it in Acts chapter 4. And again in one of his epistles later on. This is language that Jesus uses to describe. I have come and God's going to build the whole thing on me. And by the way, a lot of folks are going to reject me when he does. And the part that sets in, and I think should, part of our hunger leading up to next week, this week, don't rush to it. Part of our hunger is to recognize that this isn't just talking. The builders who rejected Jesus is not just talking about the Jewish leaders. It was talking about the crowds who worshipped him and 
It is talking about his own disciples, where every single one of them, on the night he was betrayed, ran away. When we hear this, we are reminded that Jesus, when these words were sung on Sunday about Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the crowds chanted that on Sunday. But what were they chanting on Friday? Crucify him, crucify him, and give us Barabbas. I don't know if they'll do that in the Anglican church service here on Friday, but I've been to other Good Friday services. I do love preparing for Easter celebration by taking the time on Friday to recognize the significance of the cross and the sacrifice he made. And in every service I've ever been a part of that has done that, the main part of the service is just an extensive reading or telling or depicting of one of the gospel stories of the cross. But here's what has happened in every service I've been a part of, and it's chilling when it happens. When they go through, they don't just read or perform or whatever the text. When it comes to the part when the crowd cries out, crucify him, do you know who says that in that worship service? Everybody. So every year that I've done a Good Friday service, I've sat in the congregation when they came to that point. It wasn't just the person reading or depicting it. All of us had to say, not once but twice, crucify him, crucify him. And I didn't want to say it. But what this story and the story of Palm Sunday and all of the Gospels tell us is that part of what we own, hear me, this is not guilt, it is hunger. Part of what we own as we head to Easter is our own participation in what Jesus had to do this week. He did it for us. As much as I don't want to say it, it is I who said the words, crucify him with my life. Hear me, not guilt but hunger. Love the way one scholar put it, it said, when you're coming to Jesus, even repentance is a joyful thing. Because he's already determined that you are in him. But we come to him desperate and hungry and vulnerable to say, it's not just the vulnerabilities on the outside that led to you going to the cross. It is what is broken in my heart. And can we take some time this week, maybe it's at a service, maybe it's just time of reflection, not just to buy the dress, not just to buy the chocolate, But ask God, what is it in me that you went to the cross for? Not guilt, but is there something you're inviting me to let go of so that I might take up the gift of resurrection next week? That is what this soundtrack has invited us to. And the great news, this again is not not beating ourselves up. The great news is God says, my action is not defined by your failure and your brokenness. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And they say, God has done it. He's given us salvation, even when we struggle. So it's a Thanksgiving song. It's a praise song. God has acted to rescue and to save. And so what do we do at the end? Do you notice where it all comes back in the end? It is a reprise to where we started. The celebration. What does it say at the end? The last line of the psalm says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It's exactly the same words at the end as it was in the beginning, but if you actually listen to the whole album, they mean more at the end than they did when we heard it at first. And isn't that true with so many words in our life? Have you ever spoken words or heard words or received words that meant so much more later on after you experienced life than the first time you spoke it. What about wedding vows? 
right? I, I know people that have been married 50, 60, some 70 years. People in my mind right now that have celebrated that. Can't you imagine when they think about those words they shared decades before in sickness and health for better and for worse, how much richer, deeper the experience of that language is? What about advice that was given to you by a good friend or a loved one? And all of a sudden you experience life again and again and again and again. Maybe they're gone and those words take on deeper richness. I want you to hear these words Voices of a thousand generations that are telling us that God is good and he can be trusted because his love will not quit on you. Hear them again, sing them again, take them in again, share them again. From the exodus to the exile to the cross to the empty tomb to Luther to today, the Lord is good and his love will not quit on us. And this week is a reminder forever that God is that God. He is that king and he won't quit until he goes to the tomb and uh, the cross and the tomb to seal that for our future. Sometimes we do that for each other. That's part of what we live out as a church and individual followers of Jesus. I leave you with this image of it. Mom, my mother gave me a Bible years ago now. It's not the picture of it. I can't find it in the boxes right now. <laughs> But I hadn't looked at it in years until we moved. And I'm packing things up and I stopped and pulled it off the shelf. And I read what she wrote inside. She wrote, remember Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And she went on to write these words inside of it. And I read them again just a couple months ago. God will always guide you if you will give him the lead. God will always guide you. If you give him the lead, and I confess to you, I didn't always listen to those words. In fact, within days of her writing it, because she wrote those words and gave me that Bible days before I started my freshman year of college, and I proceeded to ignore them and go the opposite direction. I ran away from God instead of closer to him. And it's not the first time, and it wouldn't be the last. Here's the powerful thing about those words that I read again, which means so much more to me now than they did the day she wrote it, is those words did become true. Became true then, became true again and again and again in my life because God did guide me back to his leading and to his heart and his life. And when I read them again three months ago, I thought, oh my gosh, I did not realize the first time I read them all of the experience of her life that were behind those words. She wrote those down for me, having the experience of God leading her out of the death of her husband. And now I, I share them and I read them and I think about them now in light of all of the experience that I have in my life of God leading me through and pulling me out of the messes that I've gotten in my life. And then I share them with you and with others and with our children in the desperate hope that you will hear the words again afresh and anew today. And that's what we do as the people of God. We worship and we celebrate and we grieve and we struggle, but we declare with all of our being that the God who went into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago this Sunday is the God who is good and who will never, ever quit on you. So can we finish 
the way they started. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It says, let Israel say his love endures forever. Can we say, let the church of Jesus Christ say, will you say it after me? His love endures forever. Father God, that's our praise. That's our celebration on this day. You went all the way. The most glorious and painful week in human history. And you did it because you wouldn't quit on us. So with all of our being, with all of our worship today, with all of our lives this week, we say back to you, we will not quit on you. But you've got to give us the strength to do that. Because we have failed. But you reach out your hand and you bring us back. Father, arouse again within us the hunger for everything that resurrection will declare next week by preparing our hearts this week. For the glory of Jesus, we pray.